you for on the spur of the moment. You're welcome. I'm told by people that we need to do the feast. Here is my answer. Daily. By faith, I acknowledge that Jesus is the fullness of the feast. His very DNA, his character, is the fullness of the shadow. He is whom the shadow pointed to. He is not the picture, but the promise that the picture spoke of brought forth into our reality. He is the real person, Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. It is him that I, too, am made complete and in perfect alignment with his light. Daily I rest in his completed work. Passover means blood. It is linked with the spirit of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life. He is the lamb that was slain. His blood has redeemed my heart. Unleavened bread means triumph and praise, joy in the morning. It is linked to the spirit of wisdom, truth. He is the bread of life, the living word, which I partake of daily, which brings me joy and praise for the cleansing of my sins. First fruits means shout to lift up, rejoice to shine. It is connected with the spirit of understanding, revelation. He is the first risen from the dead. He presented himself to the Father as his risen son, in order that I too can have life from the dead and walk in the powerful resurrection revelation of God. I rejoice in the new life that Jesus has given to me. Pentecost, to be fresh, to be made new, the spirit of counsel, remembrance, restoration, the Holy Spirit, the light of God, pours into the lives of the ones whom believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. His Holy Spirit teaches me the holy truth of God, bringing unto my remembrance everything I need to walk and live a holy life unto God. By faith I know he is the completeness of all the feasts. Therefore I rest in his completed work. Resting in him makes me complete as he is complete. As Leviticus says, be whole as I am whole. Thank you, Regina. We're thankful <clears throat> for the good things that uh, the Word of God, and especially through the Holy Spirit, uh, makes available to us. We're thankful that um, we find our strength and our resources uh, in God's Word. It's truly in fellowship, but it's as we fellowship as brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'd like you to take your Bible and open with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, I want to look at one verse there, and it is verse number 18, verse 18. I'll begin reading at that 18th verse in John 10. I've entitled the message, Since the Cross, Since the Cross. No man, Jesus speaking of his life, taketh it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I like this word. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it up again. He said, This commandment have I received of my Father. 
It was our Savior's intention to go to the cross, to die physically, to spend time in the grave, and to resurrect himself from the grave, and ascend into heaven, then send the Holy Ghost to dwell in us until his glorious return. Now, I know there's some more issues and specifics there, but it was the Lord's intent to lay down his life after the cross. The spiritual truths of the sacrificial system were the basis for the truths of the new covenant. It was a source from which they were to explain and introduce spiritual life in New Testament terms. At Christ's death on the cross, he fulfilled the old covenant, the shadows of the priest eating of the sacrifice at the altar. The shadow and types of the Old Testament offerings prefigured the true altar God would supply at Calvary, which was the cross or the tree that he died upon. It became the altar of the New Testament priest where we would, where we would eat uh, from upon. The Bible says that we are, we are priests ourselves. Amen. Having a little problem with my throat this morning, so I want you to bear with me. And uh, we are truly priests of the Lord, but we have a high priest who is the Lord. We are members of the one body, which is the church, but Jesus Christ, Yeshua, is the head of the church. We know that. Amen. We are members in particularly, all, particular. All of us have a, uh, a gift or a service unique to the body of Christ. And we, of course, talked about that for some time. Can I say this morning that Christ fulfilled all prophecy concerning himself? He truly was the Lamb of God that was slain before the beginning of the world. He could reveal all things past, present, and future because he existed as God before his existence as God's Son. He was the manifestation of the Word in the life. He was the law in the flesh. He grew the tree that he knew would be used for that old rugged cross. Isn't that something? Where he would give his blood as redemption for the sins of the world. He was the Passover. He was the bread sent down from heaven. And his blood was drank indeed. And since the cross, do we need to look unto another, I would say unto you, no, no, no. Hallelujah, there is everlasting life in the blood that Jesus shed some almost 2,000 years ago. He went to an old place called Calvary. It would have done him no good to go to Calvary if he had a life history of misdeeds like you and me. We could have gone to Calvary our own selves if we lived in that time, but we could have accomplished nothing in the plan of redemption with our blood. Talk about the blood of goats and animals being of no avail. Our blood would have been of no avail. He was perfect. He lived every day of his life pleasing the Father. In him there was no sin, so why was death and burial a problem with him? He said, I have power to lay down my life, and I have power to take it 
up again. Resurrection power. That's available for you and me today. We believe in resurrection power or we would be of all men most miserable. Amen? We believe in the resurrection power. We look for that resurrection power. I want to go to Matthew chapter 12. I've entitled the message, Since the Cross. Matthew chapter 12. And uh, I want to look in... The 38th verse. How many knows that the Lord made a historical mark upon the world, not only a spiritual mark upon the world? Almost all the places under the sun uh, record time by uh, B.C. and A.D. Before Christ and after death. And so almost anywhere you go, whether they're Christian nations or not, they understand that. That's a terminology, terminology that has been used. I'm going to look here in Matthew chapter 12 at verse number 38. Certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered and said unto him, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Verse 39, he answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after signs. But there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. The sign of the prophet Jonah. It was the only sign that he was the true Messiah. Uh, do we accept you uh, for who you say you are or do we look for another? You got to be satisfied in the work that Jesus done in your place and mine. You got to come to the cross by faith. You got to believe the word that was prophesied before he came, the word that was prophesied when he came, and the word that was prophesied when he would raise up out of the grave. Oh, hallelujah. I'm talking about resurrection authority. I'm talking about resurrection power. He said, I have power to lay down my life, and I have power or authority to take it up again. That's pretty good. He said in verse 40, For as Jonas, that is Jonah, that is the story we'll be sharing next week uh, to the children. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's the grave. That's the tomb. Three days and three nights. They said, Are you the true... Messiah. And he said, I'll tell you what, there's only one sign given. And it'll be the length of time that the Son of Man spends in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights. Now, I'm not going to go into all of those details. I'm preaching about since the cross, and certainly resurrection was since the cross. If you looked for him in the church at that time, you wouldn't have found him. If you look for him in the temple at that time of the Passover season and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you wouldn't have found him in the temple. If you expected him along the streets and the lakes and the rivers teaching, he would have not been seen there this day. 
Would he have been at someone's house for a meal? Well, not on this day of the Passover. And I could go on and on and on and on. What if you would have come to anoint his feet like the woman anointed his feet on the day of the Passover when the prophecy was being fulfilled, when the Lord was taking away the sins of the world, you would have come too late to anoint his feet. All those things in his life were, were to take him to the time of the empty tomb or the vacated grave. It was all meaningless, his perfect righteous life, the time he spent on the cross, the time he was to stay in the tomb, it would have all been meaningless had he never came out on the other side. It was all biblically true. It all happened as it said it was happened. It all had its own place. But the cross would have been meaningless without the resurrection. The Bible said in those scriptures that he would fulfill on time and in time what he said here in Matthew chapter 12. Can I say to you this morning, we serve a risen Savior. Amen. Amen. Somebody said, well, did he really have to go to the grave to prove all of that? No, he didn't. But it was the plan to bring fallen Adam, you and me. We were precisely Adam. Precisely Adam. Adam didn't do anything that you and I would not have been guilty of. Adam was Adam, Adam, we were Adam. So we look at <coughs> the things that Adam did to bring forth the fall, <coughs> and we have to accept the fact that it wasn't Adam, it wasn't the Jews that crucified the Lord. It was you and me, those people that followed in Adam's footsteps, descendants of Adam, we nailed him to the cross. But if he hadn't have gone to the cross, there would have been no hope. Amen? Amen. All of the sacrificial system, <clears throat> the shedding of the blood, all of that was shadows and types that pointed to the work that Jesus would perform in his life uh, upon the cross. The shedding of the blood, the time in the grave, all of those things were exactly fulfilled as the word of God had said they would be fulfilled. I'm telling you something. Either believe your Bible or kick your Bible out of your house. Either stand on the word of God or forget the word of God. You don't want to believe somebody else? Go to the Islamic faith. See how you like it. See how you treat it. I'm telling you something this morning. We serve not only a risen God, we serve a righteous God and a God who lives today and shall live forever, bless God. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Luke chapter 23 at verse 33, and when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and one on the left hand. Verse 39. And one of the malefactors, one of the men that was hanging on one side of the cross, 
he railed on him and he said, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answered and rebuked him and said, Doest not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? For we indeed justly receive our due reward for our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I like this. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be that shalt thou be with me in paradise. That that's a that's a good phrase. But is it exactly as the Lord meant it? He's dying on the cross. The only sign that he's the true Messiah is not whether or not he's going to go to paradise. It's whether or not he's going to spend the three days and nights in the grave. So when I read this, yes, it's a great promise. I believe it's a deathbed promise. I believe it's a great promise. But Jesus was going elsewhere today. And so actually if I take the comment, if I put the comment in the right place, it would simply say here that thou, but I say unto thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour. There was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was rent in the middle. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said, though he gave up the ghost, simply he died. Passed from physical life. In fact, he came under the power of the law of death. He came under the power of the law of death. He got down on the devil's turf. Amen. He took part in death for you and for me. The Bible says he went into that territory that you and I would have gone into with no hope whatsoever. And he fulfilled the fact that he was the true Messiah. Don't you know the devil? Don't you know every foul spirit, every demon? I, I mean every uh, winged being that was corrupt. Don't you know he not only was looking towards the cross, but don't you know he was looking at the tomb? He was looking at the stone that was holding the Lord in there. But on account of his deity and on account of his sinless life, he could not be holden of death. Now I want to pause just for a moment and tell you something. Just think about the authority and the power of a sinless life. You, you'll never have that and I never will either outside of the Lord. But when I'm looking at this life of this Savior... I mean, how could death hold him any longer than the time he was willing to commit in the grave, which was three days and three nights? He chose to go the way of the grave for you and me. Why would Jesus, Yeshua, come out of the grave early or come out earlier than the word had said 
Why would he deny his Messiahship? Why would he come out? Why would he go to the grave and come out in about a day and a half? What, what does a day and a half mean to him keeping his word? There was only one sign given, not more than one. Why would he say to Mary at a later time, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended unto my Father, then make a today promise to the thief on the cross concerning him going to paradise the day he died. And people have read that many times, and they got everybody going to paradise the day they died. I've had people tell me, Oh, yeah, I know mom and dad is looking down on me. Well, listen, I believe that when we die, we die a Christian. I, I believe we go to a place, the body goes down into the grave, but I believe we go to a place that the devil ain't got no authority and no power over. But when we lay down this physical life, we have no part in this physical life in any capacity whatsoever. We're not sitting up there watching what's good and what's happening to mama and the children. Is that hard? It's just like sleep. I go to bed. I went to sleep last night. Thank God I got up this morning. It was a new day. It's like when we lay down for that time in the grave, the old body, you know, stays there and goes into corruption and does all the things that the Word of God and even science teaches. But the Spirit goes back unto the Lord. But it don't go to paradise. Now, I'm just throwing all of this in here. And you pick out what you want to pick out and whatever you feel like. I, I really don't have a problem with that whatsoever. This is my way of thinking about it. Let me go to 1 Peter chapter 3 real quick. 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to look here in the 18th verse of 1 Peter chapter 3. This is why we need the Holy Spirit so much. Every one of us need the Holy Spirit so much to take this word. You see this word, I mean, <laughs> he said, my word is spirit and it is life. But you can read it unless the Holy Ghost moves upon your spirit as you're reading it. Uh, it's only going to be words. But watch this. In First Peter chapter 3 at verse 18 and 19. For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit or the Holy Ghost, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now think about this for a minute. There are people today, they teach... That what Jesus done in that three days and three nights is he went down into the heart of the earth and he began to preach and he began to teach men that had lived and had died. And this is a doctrine that many people have. To my way of thinking... According to the scriptures we've read, people would say, well, he went and preached. If you ask them where, they said in the prison house, which would be hell or the heart of the earth. And so the question would be, so who did he preach to? And people would say, well, he preached to the spirits of dead men. And then the question would come up, why did he do that? And most cases they would say for a second chance, 
for salvation. And some would say, well, then what did he preach? And others would say, well, he preached the gospel. Can I say these are certainly thoughts, but I don't believe they're correct. Somebody said, Brother Lee, you know what he did during that three days and nights? No, I can't tell you I know what he did. But I know he didn't go into hell and preach the gospel to dead men's spirits. I know that. It just don't line up with the word of God. Now, these ideas and thoughts that I've just shared with you, they may be true in some other capacity, but they don't line up with Peter's word. Jesus never preached in hell or the grave. Jesus never preached to spirits of dead men, and he never offered salvation to men after any man refused salvation during this life. He didn't pick up an extra work after he died on the cross. Now, now let me just let you think about something. Why should a man or a woman get a chance to go to heaven by way of hell? Now, see, that being something else to think about. Well, that's how good God is. No, God is so good that he sent his only son. Amen. That his only son, if we'll have faith in him, the Bible says we'll have everlasting life. God don't have to try to reprove his word. People just got to understand to read the word through the power of the Holy Ghost and rightly divide the word of truth. Now, when character becomes fixed, condition is settled beyond changed. Beyond change. So when if I live my life, my character has been developed in this old world, and I lay down my life for, you want to say God takes it or whatever it might be, I'm just saying my character's already been fixed, amen? Any preaching Jesus done after the cross in the grave was a thought that we need to reconsider. I want to look in verse number 20. Because if I was reading this, I'll read it again. For Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto spirits in, in prisons, in prison, verse 20 follows right up with that. Which sometime were disobedient when, went, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing were in few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. You see how I can just read verse 1 and 2. I have to read also verse number 3. God was patient. God is, I don't care if you've got a hundred years given to you in this life, God's been patient with you. Amen. I don't care if you chose not to serve God. God has been patient with you. He's given unto every man a measure of faith, which is enough faith to get a man saved. I look at the old sacrificial, sacrificial system, and I know what the New Testament talks about when it talks about the blood of goats could never bring one perfect. It could never do a lot of things, a lot of things. Well, you would go on and conclude in your mind if that was altogether the case that was nobody under the Old Testament or in the days from Genesis until the cross and after there would be nobody saved whatsoever tell me how they were saved 
They were saved by grace through faith. It's always been God's plan. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He obviously had faith because when the whole world was coming against him, he kept driving those nails, he kept sawing those boards, he kept filling in those places on the ark where that ark could float upon the earth for almost a period of one year time. The Bible says for 120 years, how was Jesus preaching to those men? He was preaching through Noah. Paul said to the Ephesians something about it almost left an idea that Jesus had preached to them in Ephesus, but Jesus never went to Ephesus. How did he preach to those in Ephesus? Through Holy Ghost anointing through Brother Paul. Do you see that? We can't make the Word say something the Word don't say, and we can't skip over where he said the only sign given we have to accept that fact. We have to say, when everything got to fit in its place, and can I tell you something? You won't find the Bible contradicting itself nowhere. Nowhere. It may sound like it, but it will not be true. It just cannot be found. I want to go to Revelation chapter 22 real quick. Revelation 22. And I want to look at, somebody say, God is good. <laughs> God is good, isn't he? I mean, all the way from the beginning, all the way to whenever and to whenever and to whenever, God is good. I mean, the Bible says he wouldn't that anybody would be lost. He wouldn't that be that anybody, he, and nobody knows love like God. Nobody knows love like God. I want to look here in Revelation chapter 22, a few verses real quick. Verse 10, John was told to seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. For the time is at hand. That's, that's the final times is at hand. And the Bible said in verse number 11, there truly is a time when he that is unjust is to remain unjust still. He which is filthy, he is to remain filthy still. And he that is righteous, he is to remain righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. For behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Jesus' purpose for living is manifest by his purpose for dying. That's amazing how it seems like life and death are so far apart, yet they have so much to do with each other. It's been said that the baby begins the process of dying from the cradle. It's something that's inherent unto this physical man. It can be said of Jesus, he lived to die to live, unto resurrection life forevermore, to never die again ever. And brother, that's where our promise and our hope is. I'm so thankful this morning I'm able to share just a little bit with you. I want to go to Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to have to kind of probably cut some of this a little bit short <clears throat> because I just don't know how long my, my voice is going to hold here. But I want to go to Romans chapter 6, and I'll just, the good Lord will let me uh, uh, skipicate. That's a word that I have. Uh, you don't have to read everything, everything all the time. You can skip a little. And still bring home the points. Now, if you skip a little and bring home a wrong point, you got to unskip what you skipped. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Now, that's not confusing. <laughs> so I'm going to skip a case a little bit. I want to look here in Romans chapter 6. And I want to look at verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in, in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Isn't that good? Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we shall no longer serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. If you're dead in Christ, then you're freed from sin. Somebody says, yeah, but my old body still does a few things that's kind of, you know, they would appear sinful or be sinful in thought or something. But if you're dead in Christ, so you come to Christ to die in Christ, and then he resurrects you spiritually into newness of life. And when you're resurrected spiritually in newness to life, uh, that, man, that's powerful right there. Amen? That's powerful. Does that mean you'll never make a mistake? No. You have to go to the good Lord and you have to earnestly say, Lord, forgive me for what I have done. You have to bring your body unto subjection unto the Word of God. But, brother, there's so many great promises. Let me skip Kate a little bit. And I'll go over here to verse 20. For when we were servants of sin, we were freed from righteousness. That means when we were servants of sin, we couldn't be righteous simultaneously. What fruit had ye then in those whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and to end and the end everlasting life. And he's very plain about this in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is so many people that takes the gospel of the good news, the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, they accept that, they take that, but beyond that they have no plan for their life. A lot of them, just simply you ask them, they say, well, I'm just praying for the rapture. Well, you better pray you're in the rapture. Huh? I used to work with one of my cousins. He was a cousin. He was married to my cousin. And uh, we were both paint contractors. And we were working for his father-in-law, which was my uncle at the time. And, oh, he was just a painting along through there. And we painted, believe this or not, we painted back in the days when you didn't have a roller and you didn't have a spray gun. Somebody said, what did you do? We had a big bucket. And we had a big brush. And so oftentimes you're working right side by side to somebody. You were doing the top, they were doing the bottom, vice versa, moving from left to right or however you chose to go. And he said, oh, he said, Lee, he said, one of these days, he said, you're not going to know it, but he said, this old brush, and he was talking about the brush he had, he said, this old thing is going to be going like this on the wall, and you're going to look and say, where did Don go? 
And he'll say, I'll be gone. I done been raptured out. And I thought, you know, that's nice. But he's leaving me behind. I want to go. And the day will come, we will go. I believe in a rapture, but I don't believe in no secret rapture where Jesus has to sneak in and sneak out and nobody knows about it. But oh, there's people when they don't have a plan for their life and they believe in once saved, always saved. I've always believed in once saved, always saved. If you stay saved, always. Amen? And no problem with that. No problem with that. But the idea is that you get saved and then you just go on and do whatever you want and then the rapture comes and you're taken out because you was once saved. Now, I have to disagree with that. I love people, but I don't agree with that. You have to have Holy Ghost leadership. Amen? He will lead you and guide you into the truths of God. He will lead you and guide you to the other side. In fact, it's the Holy Ghost that brings you to the other side. As he moves upon the word of God, moves in your heart, and moves in your life, he's moving you into a position that you've never been in before. But since the cross, basically speaking, there's no Holy Ghost leadership within the church. Most people believe they're saved by their church doctrine. But I don't believe in being saved by church doctrine. I'm going to go to Hebrews 10 real quick, and I want to get right into this. Hebrews 10, and I want to look at verse number 11. Every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But speaking of the Lord, it says in verse 12, This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the... Oh, God, I like this. Set down on the right hand of God. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is that witness. Verse number 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws into the heart and into their minds will I write them. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And he says right here, Verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which we, which he hath cons- uh, consecrated for us through the veil or beyond the veil or through his flesh, that is to say his flesh. He says we have, in verse 21, a high priest over the house of God. Now, when I talk about this high priest, I have to tell you he is not of the Levitical priesthood. Somebody says he's a high priest, but what priesthood is he over? Well, he's over the Melchizedek priesthood. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 6 real quick. And I want to say something. I think most of you know how I feel about Melchizedek, and I don't have a problem uh, at all with that. And in fact, if you don't believe with me on the way I believe about Melchizedek, you can have your money back. Have your money back. Now, here's only one catch. I won't give it to you until after the rapture. But I will give it to you. 
Now, I want everybody to, you know, I'm not trying to preach anything. I'm just trying to tell you about this priesthood that Christ is after. And the Bible says in Hebrews, let me just go to Hebrews chapter, what did I say? Six. Hebrews chapter six. I want the 20th verse. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus has been made a high priest forever after the same order or similitude of Melchizedek. Now I want to drop down into the seventh chapter. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth of part of all, which was a tithe, first being by interpretation, speaking of Melchizedek, it calls Melchizedek the king of righteousness. After that, it calls him the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Now, here is the real kicker. Verse 3. Had no daddy, had no mama. He was without descent, had neither beginning of days nor ending of days, but was made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually or forever. Now, consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth or the tithe of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. That is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them, receiveth tithes and offerings, or tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that had the promises. And with all, without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Here men that die receive tithes. But there he receiveth him, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I say to you, Levi also, who receives tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Jesus would do on the cross, but now the Bible says after he's raised from the from the grave, he he is our high priest. He's our priest that intercedes in our behalf, not with the blood of lambs and goats, but with his own precious blood. Amen. Somebody say, what's been, what's Jesus been doing for you lately? Huh? What's he been doing for you lately? I think a little bit about politics, and I think about how right now there's such a spirit of hatred. And those that will not allow the President of the United States, who was voted in as the President of the United States, to do his job. You see, people have sent these congressmen and legislators to the Capitol there to work together. And we're either going to have to resolve the thing or just kick them all out and become a dictatorship or something. Because they ain't getting along no way whatsoever. I mean, he can't even do anything good and right for the nation that they don't somehow come out that he's doing evil to the nation. 
Evil people cause everybody evil. Amen? And I'm not preaching politics here. I'm talking about the blood of a everlasting priesthood. That's what we have today. I want to go to the 13th chapter of Hebrews while I'm here. And with this, I'll close. Hebrews chapter 13. And I want to look at uh, verse 10. We have an altar. Somebody says, well, I have one in my house, or I have one here, or I have one there. It's not talking about that altar. I'll just uh, tell you that right now. It's not talking about that altar. It's talking about believers. The writer of Hebrews was a believer. He's talking to the brethren. He said, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now the priest in the tabernacle took their portion from that was provided uh, unto them by God as they sacrificed the animal, whatever it was. The priest got the choice part. You see, he was the priest. He was a teaching priest. He taught in shadows and types, and oftentimes he taught in and just absolutely the things that he done, they were teachings, they pointed. But those that are of that tabernacle don't have a right to eat from the altar in which the believer has a right. I, I, I hope I don't lose some of you here when I make this statement. There is in the Messianic movement a great desire to teach Torah and laws that are not eternal laws. The concept was right during its time. But can I say the holy Ten Commandments that were written with the finger of God, they were never the law of Moses. Somebody says, well, whose laws were they? Well, God gave them for then and for that time. And when they were rightly understood in their spiritual context, that's why I say men were saved even in that Levitical system, because everything pointed by faith to the work that those sacrifices pointed to. That blood that was shared there was a covering. But they were saved. Other than that, you'd have to say, what good was anybody that lived? I mean, even when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was still under the Levitical system, amen? When he gave up the ghost, there was no need to take another lamb and shed its blood because those days had ended, amen? And for the temple in that covering where that big veil was, the Bible says it was rent from the top to the bottom. It was so high, no man could do it by himself. It had to be done by God. And what did it expose? It went beyond the veil. It went beyond the system of killing those animals. And it showed the priest still taking the lives of those innocent lambs which could never wash away our sins. Why did God expose it? Because it had come to an end. It had literally come to an end. For the bodies of those beasts, Hebrews 13, 11, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also that he might Sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the camp. Without the camp, they took Jesus to a place called Calvary, which was outside of the camp, and there he shed his blood. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. 
For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Sacrifices of praise, the sacrifices of honor, the sacrifice of your body, which is, I mean, that's just a a reasonable thing that you bring your body under subjection. Amen. Somebody said it sure is hard. I'm telling you it's hard. It's hard to make yourself presentable. I've been married to Connie for how many years? Fifty-something. We've been married for fifty-something years. And I've seen her when she would wake up in the morning when she was young. I didn't care what that girl was planning to do. I would look at her, and she was so beautiful to me. I look at her now, and she's still so beautiful. But it takes a lot of work. (laughs) Takes a lot of effort. Why? Well, honey, I'm just saying for you or me both. Takes a lot of effort to make yourself presentable. I thought one time about getting one of those hair pieces. I thought about on Sunday. They always have that program, you know, they show you. Well, then they came out with that spray for the bald spots. Only problem with that was don't get caught out in the rain. It'll run down the back of your shirt. I thought about those transplants until I saw, um, who was the guy on Hee Haw, the main guy from Tulsa? Roy Clark got one of those transplants. It was a little kinky. So I ruled that out. And I've tried my best all these years to live with myself. I even went into the barber shop and I was the other day and got a well needed haircut and the woman made me actually feel good. I said, You you finding any gray there? And she said, Honey, they always call you honey. I like going into the restaurant and the waitresses and everything, you know, they're like 30, 40, 50, and 60, still younger than you are. (laughs) And they say, what did you have today, honey? They always call you honey. Waitresses always call you honey. I don't know where they got that. Anyway, they're looking for a tip, I guess. But she told me in the barber shop, she said, you ain't neither blonde, because, see, I was born blonde hair, and it's been a light brown. She said, you ain't neither blonde or or brown-haired. And, and she said, you ain't gray-haired. She said, you're silver-haired. I thought, you know what? I finally outdid Robert. You remember last week when I was feeling of your beard? and I was seeing how soft it might be. See, gray hair gets real stiff, and, you know, that's hard, hard to handle. But I'm a silver-haired preacher. Silver-haired. Silver-haired. Well, how many love the Lord this morning? 